Welcome, listeners, to episode 103, yes, 103 of Mars on Life. I'm your host, Ryan Mancini, and joining with me, making his return to Mars on Life, and uh, he's going to be here for quite a little bit, Andrew Martinez is back. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Yes, thank you, and thanks for having me. Uh, it was funny, I uh, was going to let you know off air here before I hopped on. I was actually listening to Seb sign off minutes before this call started. I timed it, lined it up perfectly, and hey, 103 episodes, uh, it's hard to follow. Uh, can Nobody can replace that, but uh, I hope I can just be an, a, a mediocre fill-in. Uh, <laughs> as listeners will find out, I am... For being a, a career journalist, I'm not very media savvy, if that makes sense. For talking for, to people for a living, uh, I'm probably just as all over the place as I will be today. So um, thank you for letting me co-host. Hell yeah. No, I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, like I also said to you uh, as well off air, you know, this is going to be part of a multi-week, multi-month experiment for this show. Uh, as listeners already know, there's also going to be some times where I will be unable to record. However, that doesn't mean I won't be uh, preparing in advance. Uh, so there may be some very special episodes uh, coming down the pipeline. So um, those are episodes I'm particularly excited for just because some of it's going to be a little bit familiar. Some of it's going to be unlike anything you've heard on the show and some of it honestly more likely will be a, a little bit like some of what we've experimented with last season so basically people people know what they're going to get um anyway and of course with covid conditions loosening up even further again hopefully this is the last time i bring it up just because i i, I wanted episode 100 to be the day we shedded our nostalgia but there's definitely going to be a lot more room for experimentation hopefully down the road when Sebastian's back where we can do more activities in person. Uh, now that we have, well, actually, we don't fully have CSUN off of uh, off of our chest in terms of our main discussion, because to let listeners know what we're going to be talking about, um, Andrew and I saw the Batman, which longtime listeners know uh, that's a movie I've been anticipating for a long time. Uh, I probably been talking about anticipating it probably since before we trans transferred over from uh in-person shows to over skype but uh andrew i want to bring up something with you that is batman related and yep. csun related yeah okay it, it really it, it really threw me for a ringer looking at this again uh, <laughs> so obviously this has nothing to do with this particular batman film with Robert Pattinson, the new 2022 film directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, so many years ago, uh, during our sundial days, uh, myself and a genuinely eager comic book fan uh, by the name of Jonathan Diaz. Ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to bring up? It was kind of it started as a friendly argument and then it resulted in probably a little too intrinsic and enthusiastic of kind of a, a who will win piece because at this at this point in time Batman versus Superman had not been released. 
<laughs> I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, headline, Batman v Superman, who will win? And this was from September 24th, 2014. My God, the time, where is it gone? And, you know, I'll, I'll certainly, I'll have the, the link in the description for this episode uh, if you want to read the story and especially see some of my inaccuracies about Batman because at, at a couple points, because essentially uh, Jonathan argued in favor of why Superman could easily beat Batman. And, you know, to give him credit, he definitely could. Um, but then for Batman, I I laid down the argument about how, well, Batman can fight dirty, uh, and he's, he's secure enough with his sort of morality code that he will not go out of his way to kill people, whereas by that point in time, Superman had just snapped a guy's neck in Man of Steel. So... Uh, at one point I say that for now, none of the past incarnations of Batman in film have directly in parentheses killed someone, <laughs> which I, I hope we get to when we talk about the Batman, because I think there was some stuff, but you know, uh, that it, it's funny. You mentioned that article because I think the joke of the internet for, I want to say the deep trenches of the internet, but for this argument is that Batman with prep time can beat anything. Batman with mm-hmm. prep time can beat gods. So, like, when it comes to this argument, uh, it's it's impossible. But it 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 always puts a smile on my face because it's uh, it can be argued for forever. Yeah, definitely. Well, and even my point about oh, he hasn't directly killed someone. Uh, well, no, he, he did. I mean, you know, he 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 killed the Joker. Uh, he definitely killed Two-Face in both movies with Two-Face, which is like the perfect Two-Face joke that, oh, there's two Batman movies where he killed Two-Face. Batman, or Two-Face's whole shtick is like two of something, because, you know, Two-Face. And then, you know, he doesn't kill Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins, uh, but that didn't mean he had to save him. So... Yeah, Batman Begins teased us with that, and then... Well, that could be a whole other argument, but oh yeah, that was um, intentionally hilarious too. And then, uh, I'll, I'll, if anything, I'll I'll just read the the last sentence uh, or the last two sentences of the story. Uh, huh? Because I, I I just I look back on this and I'm like, yeah, none of this came to pass with the DC, and I even have the old name of it. It was back then. It was called the DC Cinematic Universe, and they That's changed bad. that to like the DC extended universe. Okay. Uh, okay. But uh, so the last two sentences with its more powerful and freshly observed legacy, the Batman character has persisted and survived. The next decade will arguably be kind to the dark Knight. Eh. <laughs> eh. Maybe <laughs> kind of 2014, I guess it's still kind of Batman. The Batman kind of squeezes in there, but there there are Batfleck apologists, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like Batfleck let, was, let us down too bad. I didn't see the four-hour Zack Snyder cut, but um, I, I'd say that's not completely false. That still kind of held up. The Lego Batman I, I, I got a kick out of, not going to lie. With the Snyder cut, I mean, Batman doesn't really make the movie. Because um, I did I did watch the four-hour Snyder cut. It, it was 
it was definitely better than what we originally got. It was just a lot of missed opportunities, which had it not been for those missed opportunities, we would not have gotten this movie just because this was originally Ben Affleck's project, both as director and star. And going into this, so, okay, listeners, we're finally going to get into the, the Batman talk. Going into it, I definitely had, I, I had my, I was cautiously optimistic, you know, after Batman v Superman, after the original cut of Justice League, but also after Joker, I was in a state of mind where I'm thinking, okay, this still has potential. Like, despite everything, despite change in direction, change in actor, the fact that this isn't connected to anything, thank goodness, and also the fact that you had a low-budget DC film that just blew everything away in Joker, I'm thinking, okay, there's still potential here. And in my mind, I think the movie absolutely nailed having a Batman story that if if things got that much worse in Gotham, I could see this potentially kind of edging slightly into the Dark Knight world. But it, it definitely left an impact when it came to just making it an atmospheric, but also cinematically appealing film like like a visually appealing film especially given the fact that you have a lot of movies that love being in the dark and you can't see a single thing a good majority of this three-hour long movie was in the dark and i felt like i could see everything on screen which was honestly a huge relief i guess what what was your what, what was your initial thoughts on going into and then coming out of the batman well, wow. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I have one major thing, I think, coming into this. So first of all, I wasn't really into the Batfleck. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I never saw the Snyder Cut. Um, so, uh, you know, the Batfleck era to me is kind of not really relevant in any expectations. Or I guess it shouldn't be. But I think coming into this, I... I saw the, the biggest thing for me coming up, I'm like Robert Pattinson, fine. You know, I'm cool with Zoe Kravitz. I'm cool with um, Matt Reeves, even though I wasn't really familiar, but I'm like, okay, mm. you know, we got a fresh face coming in here, relatively fresh face coming in here. And, um, you know, Jeffrey Wright as Gordon. I'm like, okay, like th this is a, a, a very big reimagining, uh, just the cast. And I love the, I love the reimagining, uh, you know, that, that I saw through the trailers, that I saw through stories. Um, you know, yeah, the internet was just the biggest hype machine ever, though. So I came into this with extremely high expectations. And I also came into this um, worried about the runtime. You know, uh, if you're going to sit down for a movie, like you're not going to like two hours in be enthralled and then be like, this is too long. But going into it, my biggest fear was that this is going to drag on. And, you know, coming out of it, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, we're going to dive into it at the aspects of that, but still burning was that three hour runtime. I think the movie tried to do a lot. And I think, you know, uh, I think they had, they had a lot of great ideas, but you didn't need to spend them all in this movie. Right? So for me, um, you know, there was times and I don't want to sound like a film geek here, but there was times <laughs> when the racing was off. Like there was like, mm. Some weird like editing I think and I'm the furthest thing from like a film nerd a film critic but um, there was times where I was just like let's get going and then uh, there was a lot of times too where the action 
there's times where like I wanted more from the action scenes and there was other times where they kind of just kept I hate to say dragging it on but it just kept kind of going and I'm like oh okay like let's see how they top this and they did and then sometimes they didn't so I don't know like um it my uh my mood in the movie was all over the place uh I didn't in that sense it didn't feel super cohesive but otherwise I thought it was a really really good watch but again yeah the runtime was definitely weighing on me the moment the credits rolled. I it was weird for me with the runtime because I going into it the runtime I didn't feel daunted at all by it like I and and I can't say oh it's you know be, the Snyder cut prepared me like I, I I can't say that because totally different beast plus that was technically a movie I had already seen from a certain point of view. So, it, you know, and this is something that I've I've kind of approached with a lot of films, honestly dating all the way back to when I saw BVS, surprisingly, um, because I, around that time period, I decided I was going to start doing this thing with new films where I would, uh, I would essentially prep myself and something with franchises like Batman Star Wars, like I, as as listeners know, I've evolved a lot when it comes to like the Star Wars saga. With Batman films, it's pretty clear that I'm I'm kind of with the majority of people when it comes to, you know, the first two Tim Burton films, the two Schumacher films, and then the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and I wanted to reevaluate all those movies going into BVS thinking, okay, how do these stand up? And of course the, the twisted irony being that after I saw BVS, I thought to myself, okay, Batman returns a Batman movie with Christopher Walken is better than a Batman movie with Superman. Um, yeah. so, but also like after the disappointment of BVS justice league, it was one of those things where I kind of thought, okay, I'm, I think at this point, especially after Joker, there has to have been enough time and care put into this that there was a reason it needed to be three hours long. And so, and, you know, admittedly, I'm I'm somebody that I, I really do need to sort of be in the mood for a three hour long movie. There's a reason why I don't frequently watch the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> um, or or if I watch like one of the longer Harry Potter films, I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be depressing. I'm going to be depressed for three hours. Uh, but with this, I think, I, I'm I, you know, all I kept thinking was, well, as long as the ratio of how much Batman we get, and as long as there's some other kind of visual aesthetic that can just keep me going with the film... I should be fine with the three hour runtime. And honestly, I, that I think, and, and I, I kind of already mentioned it earlier, but like the the cinematography, uh, even just the way that the camera, the, the film camera was used, like there were a lot of shots that I felt were easily, and this is something that I think with Batman in particular, you need you need to use this kind of technique where you need to have scenes angled in a, in a way where it could almost stand out as a comic book panel. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge comic book guy, but I've read a fair number of them where if you can 
visually capture something that is going to be so attractive to your eye, then you've got you've got the reader or you've got the viewer. And with this, I think it nailed that. And plus, the the thing that I'm, I'm I know I'm going to be gushing about probably throughout this is the music. The mm-hmm. music in this film blew me away. You know, with because that's another big problem with music and films. I think these days is, and it's, I know this has been a complaint among Marvel fans or or people that review Marvel films is that there aren't really that many discernible, noticeable themes to these characters. Whereas, you know, Batman has up until now, you know, or before now, had had at least two noticeable themes. You know, excluding the Affleck theme, which I was never a big fan of. The fact that the music worked the way it did in this film and it just added, especially just how it added to the element of, you know, Batman is this, ur- the Batman is this urban legend that is essentially like a myth in this city. And when he does come out of the shadows to beat up the 99%, it, it it should be terrifying because Gotham City is not a lovely place to be. So to be in. So you know, having a musical score that really elevates the paranoia and the fear of living in that city, but also the fact that you're supposed to have this guy that's on your side, and yet he's unstable. He is moody. He broods like you wouldn't believe. Um, like it, it just, it needed to add to all of that in a way that I think it it needed to be something that almost teetered on some of the elements of the Danny Elfman score where they try that, like there were, there's moments in that very first film where they emphasize Batman as being this kind of fantastical creature of the night and they needed to go in that direction. And, you know, there's definitely a huge gap between uh, Michael Giacchino's score and Danny Elfman's, but it's it. There's enough of a of a kind of common thread of music where it just it just adds a whole new layer of atmosphere to the film. I, I you know I I agree. I think you know the music that theme was like yeah, just the the theme all throughout. You know, and I've been hearing it in the Little Caesars commercials, which I think <laughs> is it, and I know that's probably out of Matt Reeves's you know purview but um the theme was awesome i think you know just so like foreboding and yeah it just uh i i forget exactly what uh iteration or if the theme actually even played over like the first 15 minutes when he was like um you know uh he had a shadows monologue but it was done really well i think that was the perf the best opening 15 minutes of a batman movie ever maybe i mm-hmm. And uh, it was just done so well. Like, you did not need any... Actually, I don't think that that scene is actually in the first 15 minutes. There's another scene, um, which, you know, I don't know if we could talk... We want to talk about that, too. That kind of... You think you're watching the Waynes in the very first scene, and it's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but when it comes time for Batman's introduction, it's done extremely well. And, uh, yeah, actually, you know, I was one of the things I was thinking is that you know this movie uh, this batman being so broody um you know, there wasn't any um a lot of space for humor but i found myself maybe i'm just a goofball but i found myself kind of unintentionally laughing in the beginning when you know it's the myth of batman or the legend of batman being 
is he in the shadows? Is he not in the shadows? And criminals running from nothing in the shadows and all that stuff was great, but I thought it was kind of funny when he beats up the first kind of trio, the first gang. And then the guy who he saved tells Batman, like, don't beat me up. And I was yeah. thinking in my head, like, <laughs> like is Batman just bloodlusted? Is he going to beat this guy up too? Like, he's standing over him. And, you know, the movie comes full circle at the end and he becomes, uh, I guess, spoiler talk is already too late to say. But, the, you know, by the end of the movie, he's, uh, he's a, a hero, a symbol of hope. But it's a really good contrast in the beginning when the guy he's saving and of course batman doesn't say like hey i'm batman or you need help but like just stares him down and this guy yeah. great batman's gonna kick my ass too so but it's he's just scary and it was done really well with the music and you know when you talk about the score too um you have to mention the nirvana the nirvana song something in yes. the way. i know coming up it was kind of a joke on the internet you know um that you know the song is going to be in the movie I actually had no idea how it was going to be featured in the movie. I saw so many memes and people laughing about it, like just saw the Batman and listening to it, it being emo, but it was used <laughs> really well. And it might be, I don't remember a Batman movie using like a contemporary pop rock song ever, or at least that effectively. And I thought that was a pretty nice move. Actually, on that note, I don't recall any... Um, any superhero movie for that matter using uh, a, a, a quote-unquote real song so effectively so naturally so i thought that was uh you know when you want to talk about like this is groundbreaking for the genre the way nolan's movies were in certain ways um the score for this movie in certain ways definitely so that was an a, a very good highlight um and yeah i think just the the pattinson portrayal which you know coming into this I know it was like the biggest, uh, it was all the hype and, you know, people were, you had Batfleck fanboys, I don't know, but they were out there and mm -hmm. uh, Bale fanboys. And even to this day, I still see mock-ups on the internet of just like, who would win Christian Bale or Christian Bale's Batman or Batfleck. And I'm just like, even to the, I guess people, you know, people aren't going to be in a Pattinson's broody portrayal, but um, I thought it was, I thought it was good, uh, but I do think I kind of, they didn't really give him a chance to, sh I, I feel like, you know, coming out of this, there nobody was a bad actor in the movie, but mm -hmm. one thing that I thought coming out of it is that nobody really had a chance to shine. Pattinson was mm -hmm. great in emo and, you know, in a good way. But one thing I was thinking is like, you know, seeing the first 15 minutes and like, this is awesome. He's just his, uh, he's, he's this broody, uh, like, huge guy who's just beating people up. But then, like, he never really opens up. And I guess that's the point that, you know, Batman is broken on the inside. And, you know, at the end, he kind of lifts his spirits a bit in a way. But, um, you know, one thing I thought is that he was very one-dimensional. You know, I heard somebody mention, and I didn't realize this until he left the movie, that um, Batman, uh, Pattinson was playing Batman for about 95% of the movie. Yeah. 5% of Bruce Wayne. And in this mm -hmm. movie, Bruce Wayne was a broken soul. And, uh I don't know if you wanted to see more Bruce Wayne. For me, I didn't mind it, but I thought it was kind of jarring not to really see the the contrast because he's usually, I just go back to Chris Bale's playboy billionaire and then you get zero out of this Bruce Wayne. To a large extent, it didn't bother me mainly because, it. I don't know, it, it was almost as if it played into both my 
expectations of or a little bit of my expectations. I mean, that's just it. I didn't I my expectations for Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I, I, you know, going in, I couldn't have told you what the percentage would have been because I, I just I was just curious just to see how he would be in the role in general. And so but I think it, it was an amalgamation of what what I was hoping would be at least different from other Batman that we've had in the past, but also in a really twisted way, it kind of factored into what I liked most watching Batman as a kid, which was I I always loved the idea of, well, what if he was just Batman all the time? Like, what if the whole Bruce Wayne thing was so like that was why Batman and Robin. And yes, I'm going to bring up Batman and Robin. I apologize, listeners. Uh, I apologize to you, too, Andrew. Um, but, like, that's why all the scenes where George Clooney is kind of. Oh, I mean, he's not overdoing it as the playboy Bruce Wayne, but he's he's certainly doing a great job of it. Uh, it it just it didn't connect with me in terms of like well, clearly he's over his parents dying even though he's still in the bat suit. He's still there's still a part of me that's like okay this this is this Batman is clearly like I'm ready I'm ready to retire. Obviously we're at a different point in Batman's career in this movie, but it just I don't know it, it worked for me having more Batman and having Bruce be so broken up and i think too having him be broken up i think in this way it just adds more to the psychological elements to the character that i think i arguably it does a more updated job at why bruce wayne is the way he is but in terms of like i think using more modern comic book takes on the character but also Again, grounding him in a way that feels real, and it also gives you a reason to sympathize more with his character and empathize with him um, by having his mom. And yes, listeners, this is this is going to be kind of a spoiler discussion. So, just for goodness' sake, watch the movie, please. Just go see the movie. Yeah, uh, um, you're with it. The three hours, uh, as much as I complain, are worth it. But. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you're about to talk about, and I do want to discuss it. It, it threw me off at first because I was like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this." Oh, cool. Was having Martha? Yes, Batfleck fans. I said Martha. <laughs> uh, having Martha be an Arkham, and I I I've watched videos here and there a long time ago that talked about how yeah. Uh, Martha's connected to the family that basically established what originally was Arkham Manor became Arkham Asylum and there's kind of a lineage of insanity with the family and so incorporating that in a very kind of indirectly it's not really it's not overly stated like oh you know Martha's crazy so that means Bruce is crazy there's none of that, but the way that there that the way that it's implied, and the fact that it's implied late enough in the film where you're thinking to yourself, "Boy, why is this Bruce Wayne so still so grumpy and cranky?" And you know he he's 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 an insomniac. Like what what's what's the deal here? It just makes that much more sense, and it also 
fleshes out his character in a way where it it kind of reminded me a little bit of what they did with Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. And this kind of this touches on something that you and I kind of hinted at with each other uh, over text, where they took what I thought was one of the best elements of Joker, which was the psychology of mm-hmm. that version of the character and making it sympathetic, but then also reminding you, this is the Joker. Like you should not be, you, you should feel bad, but that doesn't mean you should love this character because he's this broken shell of a man. It's like, no, he's still a bad guy. And with this, it does the opposite where it you you need to have you want to have the same feelings but also it's batman at the end of the day you want to be rooting for batman and you want him to you know save the day incorporating that especially within the duality of you know he doesn't like being bruce wayne when alfred tells him you got to go out in public and put your big boy pants on and put on your suit and tie and you know don't forget your cufflinks like the youngest alfred in history yep <laughs> and I, I will say, I think for me, Alfred might be the only, because with the whole, I'll, 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 I'll put it this way. I don't have really any other complaints with the movie. The only issue I had was I love Andy Serkis. I thought he was a terrific Alfred. I can't wait to see more of him. But there was an opportunity in recent years where uh, Pierce Brosnan, who, you know, I'm sure you and everybody recalls was James Bond at one point in time, uh, or as my sister remembers him from Mamma Mia, was in talks with DC to be in one of their films, and the rumor for a long time was that he was going to be Alfred. And that blew my mind because I thought that's going to elevate this movie just that much more. And it didn't come to pass. He's going to be in a different DC film. I think he's playing, like, Dr. Fate. Um... I think he's actually I think he's going to be in that new Dwayne Johnson movie that they've been working on for like, I don't know how long at this point. It feels like it's been over a decade they've been working on this movie. But um, yeah, overall, I mean, Pattinson was terrific. He had the look down at first. I didn't know what to think of the new bat suit, but it's it's grown on me more and more. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, it's pretty dark. I never had a problem with it. <laughs> I know the joke is George Clooney had nipples and it's just uh-huh. like, as long as it doesn't have that, like I'm fine with it. You know, I do think, you know, if you want to really get into it, I, I do prefer, like, I think it's dorky when the ears are pointier and other things like that. But I, you know, there's aspects of it like, Oh, and actually too. And uh, we're really hopping around here now. Cause I, one thing that did bug me was, um, and I, I hate to say bug cause I, I, this movie was great, but um, how bulletproof he was. I guess, yes, really and figuratively, but um, not only does he fly off a building and it was great. They showed him being kind of scared and got a real sense that, you know, he's still learning how to be Batman and fly. And I love that. That was great. Um, it was a good moment of vulnerability, but also too later, like he's fight. He's beating down guys with machine guns. There's a great scene in a hallway at Falcone's oh. place where um, so cool. You ever seen the Christian Bale movie Equilibrium, where he jumps down, breaks down a door, slides into a dark room? Yep. Uh, yeah. If it, I don't want to spoil it, well, who cares at this point? But yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a great scene, and it's just part of that great cinematography. But Batman is pretty bulletproof. Um, the only time a gun slows him down is when he gets blasted with like a twelve gauge, like 
point blank to his stomach. And even then, he just like takes ser- like steroids. What was it that he took? Like somebody said it was Bane's uh, Bane's juice, but yeah, that's that's know, what I think. I think that was yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say like yeah, like but like you know he took a shotgun blast to the chest and realized his suit's bulletproof, but. Um, you know, some of those guys who was fighting on the roof towards the end, like had long rifles, like those are going to do damage too. But like, I think it was a little inconsistent and kind of funny how bulletproof he was. And plus like, you know, I know it's a movie, but like, you know, a ricochet doesn't cut his cheek or anything like that. Like, so I, I, I didn't take issue with it. I thought it was kind of like, you know, as far as the suspension of disbelief in this movie, that was kind of stretching it. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the suit, it was pretty bulletproof. Uh, Batman himself, uh, for the sake of the movie, he's got to be. But Batman himself was pretty bulletproof. I mean, the car chase scene, which is, oh. is probably the best part of the whole movie. I've done a, oh, yeah. a kind of a, I don't want to say 180, like a 90 degrees on it. Like at first, I'm like, that was only a minute long. And then later, I'm just like, <laughs> that was awesome. I need to see it in IMAX. But um, basically, the penguin uh, causes like a pileup that probably kills like a dozen people. And that, and you know, uh, in a very comic book way, takes him down. Which it was awesome. But again, mm-hmm. like um, <laughs> Batman survived that as well without a scratch. And like, and also the Penguin survived like that accident. Um, reminded me of um, what was it Casino Royale? How Bond survives? Like he's gonna run over um, Vesper, and then he like has an insane yep. car crash. Penguin basically does the same thing, and then he's totally fine like he's waddling later so um <laughs> there was a lot of um i guess plot armor and i was fine with it but it got a little noticeable for my comfort yeah no i i i had the exact same thought with that scene i was like oh this is like uh the guinness book of world records uh aston martin from casino <laughs> royale doing all the flips um and i the funny thing is little side note i've seen that car in person and man is it mangled um it's yeah i mean it's one of the it's one of those things where last i saw it it was at the peterson museum uh down in uh the wilshire area and like all the promotional pictures and when you see it in person it's on this like this kind of iron not scaffolding but like there there is kind of this grating that kind of props the vehicle up because i guess uh, I guess, you know, it can't either sustain its own weight or the wheels yeah. are disconnected, but still connected. I, I don't know. Either way, it's super cool. Um, yeah, no, that, that whole sequence and especially and this is something it's because I, I did see it in IMAX. I, I went with my sister and because we were like, you know, this is the first movie we've seen in theaters for two years. Like we. Yeah. Last year, we didn't go to the theaters, mainly because there really wasn't anything that we wanted to see. And it felt appropriate that of all the things that would take us back to a theater, it would be a Batman movie, just because her and I are both big Batman fans. And it's just like that scene when, you know, there's like a shootout and, uh, you know, you think they're going to get Catwoman, you think they're going to get Batman, who's already been knocked out by a, a... I think he got shot in the chest and then all of a sudden just this screech, this haunting screech. And you're just like, oh, now what? And then you look and you realize it's the Batmobile for this film. And you're just like, oh, my God, what a 
to this day, I still get goosebumps every time in the 89 film when Batman saves Kim Basinger and he says, get in the car and she goes, which one? And the music swells and you get that brilliant view of the 89 Batmobile. Like I, I still get a kick out of it, but this introduction just, you know, yes, there's the Tumblr introduction, which is cool in its own right, but this was just, you know, it was exactly what I was hoping for, which was a film that was going to be thrilling, but also, again, like, having terrifying or, you know, horror elements, like, that was something that I always applied to Batman growing up, especially because of the 89 film, is that, and also, too, even just, like, some of the stuff Batman deals with in, like, the animated series with, like, Man Bat and Killer yeah. Croc and especially, like, Clayface. Like, there's a lot of creepy, scary stuff in Gotham City. And when I was a kid going to the Warner Brothers lot and seeing the the archive that they have, they had the Joker mannequin with the costume that Jack Nicholson wore and the mannequin looks just like Nicholson in the makeup. And it scared the pants off of me as a little kid. I hated it. It just terrified me. It probably is why I don't like clowns. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it puts something into me of just the fact that there are supposed to be... There's a reason why there's comics where Batman becomes a vampire. Like, you know, there's a horror element to Gotham City. And something as familiar as a Batmobile getting introduced in a way that was so haunting, like, oh, it, it, I'm gushing, I know. But it just was like, it, it was such a brilliant way. And the look of fear on the Penguin's face. Yeah. It just, oh my God. And, anyway, and now the villains. Probably should get on to the, the villains and an extended cast as well. Um, so what did you think of the Riddler in this movie? I thought <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I thought he was great. I thought he was the best actor in the movie, actually. I thought mm. and, uh, you know, uh, what is this? Paul, Paul Dano, Dano, um, Dano. Yeah, Dano. Great actor. I mean, I think he's kind of getting to the typecast phase or I guess he's not already plays kind of the same guy in every movie just like a feeble mentally disturbed uh you know guy who gets beat up and i know the joke was that he didn't get beat up in this movie but he's <laughs> awesome he was a great riddler i think the way they did the, the direction they did it you know when everyone walks out of this and says this was a reimagining of batman and that's why it was good this is reason number one um, you know i think th they tried to i think they tried too hard to kind of like play up his whole question mark deal and i did read that took inspiration from the zodiac very cool um mm. you know but you know there was a scene where like it zooms out on a coffee cup and it's a question mark and like that's unnecessary but like but <laughs> other than that um they did a great job of showing a modern day version of the riddler i think um it was actually kind of funny how he ended up being like uh how he's live streaming on parlor parlor and telegram it's like you know at the end of it and it, it was it, it almost got me thinking like if um you know this is going to inspire some homegrown terrorism like that's how <laughs> kind of realistic it was it was scary in that sense that this is not too far-fetched from reality that somebody could go this crazy and even um not only his acting and how menacing he was and he 
did a lot of stuff by hand. He didn't really use guns, if I recall. And uh, obviously the Riddler's characteristics of being cryptic and such were done really well. But mm-hmm. uh, also the, the his capabilities, you didn't feel like, for instance, in uh, Dark Knight, um, you know, I, I don't know if they explained how Joker filled up those two fairies with a ton of explosives. And I know he has his goons, but it kind of stretches the imagination of like Joker's capabilities. In this one, the Riddler, I thought it was done extremely well because every crime he did was within the realm of possibility. It didn't was did not throw you out of the movie just being like, how did he do that? There was no suspension of disbelief, which really kept you locked in. Like um, the, the part of the ending where um, there's van explosions, uh, you know, seven vans that are parked around the city that explode. Um, you know, didn't feel too unrealistic and uh, it felt kind of within the realm of possibility. And again, kind of recruiting alt-right psychos to mm-hmm. at the end. I, I think the fact that it was so kind of realistic hit really hard. This version of the Riddler definitely needed to be creepy and, and methodical, but I think I underestimated two things. One, how one was the fact that I, I don't know. I think going into this, I kept thinking, okay, I do know that having the Riddler in any Batman story outside of, I guess, you know, I guess outside of the previous live action incarnations that we've had, Mm -hmm. uh, like Frank Gorshin and Jim Carrey, you know, writers that work at DC are always mindful of the fact that Riddler is supposed to be so smart. And so methodical that sometimes these riddles have to be so ridiculous that, you know, it's like, okay, this is something even Batman has to barely figure out. Yeah. And I think I was I was actually kind of relieved that these riddles, the riddle, the, the few riddles that he does have in this movie are actually surprisingly simple. However they do reach a point where, and it leads to one of the best scenes of the film, the, uh, how did the, I think, uh, the penguin calls it, called it the, uh, good cop, batshit cop. Bat shit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with that scene where you realize that, you know, the Riddler intentionally laid this out with the, I'm trying to remember. It was like Elrata, Elada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the penguins basically like, don't you know Spanish? Um, but like like that that took it to a level that I wasn't anticipating in that this isn't so much riddles, it's that Batman and Gordon are overthinking it so hard that they're not even seeing the obvious riddle right in front of them. Like that to me, that took it again, it took it to a different dimension on okay. You don't need to go overboard with the riddles, but you can still have little clues or little kind of direct, not references, but sort of direct paths to go down with how to decipher the riddles. That was something that blew me blew me away, and I was totally satisfied with. The other thing, too, was also just by the time that the Riddler shows up in Arkham, shows up in Arkham, by the time he, he's sent to Arkham... Yeah. You know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, he's in Arkham now. And and by that point in the movie, when he's having his sort of final confrontation with 
the Batman, I'm thinking, okay, like it's it's going to be like a like kind of like that scene at the end of the Dark Knight when you know uh, Joker gets thrown off the the building, Batman pulls him up, and he's like, you know, we're going to be doing this forever, and Batman's like, you know, you'll be in a padded cell cell forever. Like I thought it was going to be like that. What I underestimated was just how number one, how insane this Riddler is, and number two. I did not anticipate the uh, the vans going off and the city being flooded. Like that, that to me, funny. that that was something that it took Riddler to another level for me that I really appreciated. Just because I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, Riddler's been creepy and he's you know done a lot of scary stuff throughout this film, but I still feel like he needs to one up everybody and he, he already had by that point you know he he takes out uh carmine falcone but or falcone i always get it mixed up uh but having those explosions go off and i'm pretty sure there was a trailer where you see some of the flooding so it it might have crossed my mind at one point in the film like wasn't there like a flood or something <laughs> um so mm. that kind of answered that question thankfully but yeah, it just it took it to another level. And again, too, tying it back with Joker, um, the Riddler, Edward Nashton, uh, he kind of goes from doing his big grandiose Riddler voice to uh, when he has that final post on social media where he's like, hey, guys, thanks for following yeah. me. You've all been doing a great job. Um, like, I got a kick out of that. But, you know, these followers of his and these people that are watching him, they're going to go out of their way and essentially carry out his final scheme for Gotham. And that was very Joker-esque. And that was something that, you know, when when Sebastian and I talk about Joker, it's always about how it was the perfect movie for a very, you know, for the sort of the post-Trump culture, society, if you will. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it was something that that very much tapped into a lot of that creepy you know it, a lot of the creepy you know alt-right slash incel culture that has unfortunately kind of become uh normalized thanks to the likes of donald trump and with this i think it it took it in that direction in a way that again i it didn't feel out of place just because you know, it, it kind of also goes back to the point of like, you know, this could be something that would actually inspire people. I still remember when uh, just before Joker came out, there was that fear among film reviewers that, oh, there was going to be a shooting because of this movie. Mm -hmm. and, and thankfully there wasn't. But, you know, I, I, I started thinking about it within the context of the film. Like, yeah, th this is one of those moments where they can they can inject a little bit of reality into this film and it doesn't ruin it. It doesn't ground it in some way that makes it feel alienating. This is, this is a darker world for this Batman and yeah, he, he's got to handle it. And if he's got to have his, uh, he's got, if he's got to inject himself with some venom, uh, like Bane, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you know, Penguin, I really liked. Uh, just because he, I thought Colin Farrell, besides being unrecognizable, I thought yeah. did an excellent job at just being like, 
you know, a perfect amalgamation of the character mixed with Robert De Niro as Al Capone from The Untouchables. Um, yeah, hey, I didn't even connect that, but that mm-hmm. is exactly the same vibes. I, I think he, he definitely was unrecognizable, and he did such a good job of playing, like, you know, this movie, I guess in this movie, he's not the penguin, or he's not the top guy yet, but it was probably, it, they couldn't have asked for a better portrayal, I think, uh, out mm-hmm. of like, saying, like, hey, penguin, like, hey, Colin Farrell, you're penguin, but not before he's the big boss. And, uh, you know, he he was great. I like that, you know, I think for his character, uh, you know, okay, I, I'm not a big on Penguin history, so apologies mm. for this uninformed opinion. But, um, you know, I saw some, I remember seeing some criticism that, like, why did they make Penguin, like, an Italian mobster guy? And, like, you know, the Penguin in the past obviously was very different. And, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of, I really liked the direction they went. And I, you know, I guess we'll lump Falcone in here too. Of mm-hmm. like these guys kind of like mafia mobster types. And I guess the Dark Knight kind of did that as well mm-hmm. versus Penguin's other portrayals. But um, I thought it was, you know, as someone who's not big in Penguin lore, I thought it was pretty great. And I enjoyed that they made them, yeah, maybe it's kind of the easy way to just say, ah, oh, they're just mafiosos. They're just kind of like the mob. But I think it helped, again, kind of the believability factor. Again, like, I guess I'm a suspension of disbelief guy, but for me, just that whole criminal organization kind of being a mafia, it made it really easy to understand. It made it like for kind of newcomers or somebody who's not super deep in the lore, like you know, maybe like me, who's surface level seeing the movies and such but you know not deep in the comic books and stuff so that was really accessible um and, and i thought it kind of um ma- i don't know if i say make them scarier um because they didn't really feel like super scary but mm-hmm. it's, their portrayals still made them carry that weight where like you watch the old batmans and you see danny devito and <laughs> you know it's it, it, you know it, not super intimidating but coming in this one and you see they're kind of like mafia guys in the club. And it kind of adds some oomph to that where in past Batmans, you know, uh, as a little kid, you know, I'm like, that's the penguin. Like, <laughs> can Batman jump over him? Like, you know, so, like, <laughs> so that's why, like, this time I felt like this this was a great way to kind of, like, ease it into us. And, and I think it did a better job than The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight, uh, I love Eric Roberts' portrayal of... Um, Falcone, Maroni, Falcone. Well, he was it. he was uh Sal- I think he was Salvatore Maroni. Yes. In that one. And, yeah. And like those guys were like mafia, but they did not feel as intimidating in this one. I think what is the worst that they do? Like they punch Bruce in the first one, I forget. Like so like <laughs> they had way more umph in this. So uh I love that portrayal. Yeah. Well, and even um because <clears throat> right before Right before we saw this, um, my sister and I rewatched Batman Begins, and neither of us had any idea like how much, uh, like how much of not only some of the themes of like fear, which was very specific to that movie because of you know Bruce Wayne tackling his fears, Scarecrow is a villain, he uses fear, blah blah blah. I was surprised at how much the Falcone the Falcone Maroni dichotomy would factor into this, especially after 
um, I think it was Tom Wilkinson played uh, Carmine Falcone in the first film. And he, you know, he's great in that. And he, he does, he does kind of hint at the fact that, you know, oh, you know, you got a judge, you got a couple city councilmen, you got a police deputy, like I could shoot you and none of them would care. You know, yeah, you're Bruce Wayne, but you just don't understand. You know, uh, I don't know he's turning into Christopher Walken all of a sudden. But um, in this, like, the, the, the corruption and all the connections between, you know, the mob war, Penguin's involvement with uh, Falcone and his group, like, it definitely grounded it in a way. And I, I think I was just, I was surprised that, that we got another movie that incorporated the gang element. And and honestly, I like that simply because the thing that always, like, one, you know, there, there's not too many things in, in, like, the Batman mythos that capture me in terms of, like, you know, being something so captivating that I'm like, wow, I'd love it if they really dug into it. And this movie dug into it, which is more so than the dark Knight, which is um, the fact that typically whenever they have a Batman origin, um, it's kind of like, you know, he's fighting the mob and the mob controls Gotham. And because Batman appears on the scene, that's when all the other crazies come out and, you know, put bags on their heads or dress up in green leotards or put lipstick on and dye their hair green. You know, like it's just, it's like this one crazy guy comes out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden here comes, you know, allow me to break the ice. My name is freeze. (laughs) It actually is more like the dark Knight, where the Riddler is kind of serving the same or not the same role, but a similar role as the Joker where he is the wild card that, stirs up the pot and stirs up the hierarchy penguins already part of that hierarchy so as much as penguin arguably would fit in as you know another you know crazy lunatic he really isn't you know out of all of batman's rogues the penguin is arguably the most grounded and you know outside of when he is a literal mutant penguin man um saying saying stuff to Catwoman that would not pass for a McDonald's commercial um talking about Batman Returns here uh, um oh boy uh there's some lines in that movie anyway we also got to give I also got to give props to Zoe Kravitz for being an excellent Catwoman you know, Selena Kyle I was about to say are we sexist for mentioning her last year but she was <laughs> she obviously you know biggest part of the movie one of the biggest parts of the movie and oh yeah she was you know obviously the best Catwoman probably put on film ever um i wasn't super enthralled by her performance like she was good but i think mm-hmm. she had the same problem as bruce wayne where well okay, we saw more of selena kyle versus you know and and Catwoman. there was more split screen time between those personalities than bruce wayne and batman but I feel like it was another case again where they didn't really give her a chance to shine. I think, you know, for me, um, it was just jarring when she kissed Batman. I'm just like, I get it, but it just didn't really feel that organic. Mm. And um, I thought she was better when she was Selena Kyle versus Catwoman. 
And I guess, you know, is she quote unquote Catwoman when she tries to shoot Falcone? Uh, I guess technically. But um, I thought her portrayal of Selena Kyle was better than Catwoman. But otherwise, um, she definitely was like the best casting for that. I can't imagine, um, you know, any other famous actress that could kind of do what Zoe Kravitz did and just kind of ground her and um, a good foil to Pattinson. She, she really tried to open him up and, you know, Pattinson, of course, didn't. Um, but I really enjoyed her. And I know, you know, the, there's they made there was some big deal made of her being portrayed as bisexual. But mm. I, think I really enjoyed that the movie didn't really like focus on it too much. It was mm-hmm. like she was looking for her friend, her partner. But like the movie wasn't just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she makes that with girls, too. Like it wasn't like like hammering that point too much. So yeah. like, it was really subtle about kind of like her other characteristics, which I thought was good because going into this, I know a big deal is made like, oh, she's bisexual. And I'm just like, I just want to see Catwoman like the Catwoman. I really, you know, and the movie, you know, definitely just focused on her being Catwoman, not like all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I and that was something, too, I really appreciated was um her involvement with the penguins iceberg lounge, which the moment they mentioned iceberg lounge, that that was something I remember from the animated series. And I was like, Oh, Oh God, they're bringing this into live action too. Oh, this is going to be great. Um, suffice it to say there was no like ice themed stuff. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the ice themed hotel from die another day, you know? So I was that I was that I was relieved. Um, but I liked her her characterization working there and also like she you know her characterization really taps into the more seedier side of Gotham and you know the fact that you know as as weird as it sounds Batman kind of pimps her out in a way to get information from the DA yeah and which honestly again like that 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 really magnifies the noir kind of mob film slash kind of you know it 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 gave it more of a comic book feel but not comic book like how you and i would typically associate it but more of like like a dick tracy comic or you know it, it just it gave it more of that like sin city kind of feeling to it which i always thought if you could apply more of that to Batman, that'd be great. I mean, hell, Sin City was created by the guy who gave us probably the definitive Batman, and has essentially inspired the trajectory of the character ever since um, the graphic novel The Dark Knight Returns came out back in, I think it was like 1986, which, great book, I highly recommend it. That, in a lot of ways, that kind of inspired Affleck's Batman, but it's essentially inspired bringing Batman back to his roots of being kind of a dark shadowy character um, after, you know, the 1960s show with all the camp and, you know, get the bat spray repellent. Robin, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so I, I, I appreciate all that with her character too. And, you know, cause I think even Frank Miller in one of the Batman, one of the other not bat- graphic novels that he uses Catwoman in, um, 
I'm pretty sure she is working in like the red light district of Gotham. So, you know, and, and I know at times DC has tried to kind of push back on that and be like, oh, no, she was already a vigilante and, you know, just happened to live in the wrong part of town. And you're like, OK, so incorporating that into this, I thought, really, it just again, it added to the atmosphere. And then with Jeffrey Wright as Gordon, like. It's hard to beat uh, Gary Oldman. He's still my favorite Gordon, but Jeffrey Wright, when he shows up in a movie outside of the last James Bond film, I won't get. Did you ever, by the way, did you see the last Bond film? No, I didn't. But, you know, I wasn't really a fan of his uh, first Bond appearance. Um, oh, but, OK. Uh, like he was fine. But like, I, I, yeah. I didn't have a problem with I don't have a problem with Jeffrey Wright. I, I thought his character was kind of, uh, well, that's a whole nother conversation. But I like yeah. Jeffrey Wright, though. And I think he was an awesome Gordon. I like I really like the buddy dynamic. And he was like really just down to earth. Uh, they they balanced it really well like with how shocked he was or not shocked at finding out his colleagues are corrupt i thought they did a really good job with that mm. and just the, the whole buddy cop dynamic i know the big story of this movie was that batman and um gordon are like a detective duo but i thought they did a really good job of just like you know not like you know there wasn't like there was a scene where they were like back to back like shooting guns you know like it wasn't like super buddy cop like they it was like another kind of a subtle interpretation of like like a buddy cop. So uh, I really enjoyed that. And Gordon as a, uh, Gordon can hold his own as a character, too. I mean, I don't recall any scenes where Gordon was in. I don't remember any scenes where it was just Gordon and not Batman. But I feel like they, he deserved kind of his own stuff, too. Um, but I don't remember if the movie gave us that. But I think going forward, they should give Gordon more of a light. Um, you know, depending on obviously how the trilogy goes, but mm -hmm. uh, Gordon can hold his own. And I think I don't think like Matt Reeves held him back or anything. I guess that's the story, but um, yeah. he can do a lot more. So I'm hoping that his role opens up. No, I, I agree. I mean, I another thing I loved with his character was the fact that they really hammered the fact that what he's doing with having this vigilante help him out with crimes in Gotham. I loved how they just had that as like this side thing instead of like it being sort of under the table uh, police protocol like it was in the Dark Knight movies where like the cops aren't too thrilled about Batman, but they accept him anyway. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's like I, I the part where um, Bruce gets knocked out and he wakes up in uh, the Gotham Police Department and, you know, one of the cops tries taking his mask off. Batman's just like, I'll fight you. Like, just don't don't start touching me, guys, or I'll fight you. And then one 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 schmo grabs his ear. Yeah. And he's like, all right, that's it. You know, and I that part I, I did kind of chuckle because I'm like, uh oh, somebody grabbed one of Batman's ears. I don't think the only t other time I think that's happened was Bane and there was a reason for it. In this case, it's like, whoa, hey, buddy. Get your fingers off that ear. You don't know where it's been. Um, it's a, <laughs> that was a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I will say I got a great laugh out of. Um, and, and that's another thing, too. Before I mention this next thing. 
even for as dark as this movie was, there was still some room for humor, which, you know, again, I don't need to be on the floor rollicking with all my Batman films, but it's this movie still found a really good way of just doing a really good job with the fact that, you know, yes, Batman is this gritty character, but he can stare back into the face of Gotham's worst and spit in the face and be like, what, what are you going to do about it? Um, cause he, he three scenes that, that I, I can't stop thinking about since I left the theater are the three occasions where he goes to the iceberg lounge uh, first as Batman, mm-hmm. then as Bruce Wayne, and then again as Batman, where he deals with the twins. I think their names are like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's like, you know who I am? And they're like, you know, oh, hey, 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 but you better be careful, buddy. You're going to get blood in your suit. And and Batman's yeah. like, mine are yours. Um, and then the second time, he's just like, you know, who, he says the same line of, you know, who I am. And they're like, oh, shit, you're Bruce Wayne. Yeah, come on in. And then yeah. later when he like ding dong ditches on him and then just closes the door on him and gets in like, I don't have time for this. Um, yeah. And then when uh, he has to escape the police building and he hits Gordon and later Gordon's like, you know, you could have you could have you could have pulled back on that punch. I did. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's the delivery, it's the writing. It's like, OK, you know what? I'm this is in good hands. So um, now you, you hinted at something earlier about um, I think it was about the, the whole killing thing or the killing rule with Batman. Oh, yeah. Like, um, well, you know, and I guess this is all throughout Batman that, you know, like I know the joke is that he leaves. He, he doesn't kill you, but, like, he'll leave you paralyzed for the rest of your life, you know? Like, what is it, like, hold my feeding tube? So, like, Batman beat my ass. So, he mm. definitely, like, like what is it? Like, even in the intro, like, when he beats up those gang members, like, there's, like, three unnecessary punches. Like, I think kind of, like, the the violent Batman's punishment is in... Batman's, like, you know, like, how he's, like, well, uh, the lore is that Batman holds back or like, no, pulls punches as well. Or I think it was actually, I'm mixing up Spider-Man. They say Spider-Man pulls punches. But like, I think for Batman though, like he definitely has killed people by accident. And that freeway scene, like probably like, <laughs> like a, a, a tanker exploded. Like there's, there's deaths on the freeway, but Batman doesn't care. He got his guy. I'm not saying it's Batman's fault, but Batman has definitely indirectly caused deaths. Like, what if one of the cops grabbed his cape when he was jumping down the building and the cop died? Like, Batman has probably caused, in this movie alone, he probably caused a ton of deaths. Like, um, like, uh, I thought at the end of the movie when those, um, those shooters were on top of the TV screen that, like, I thought he was just tossing them off until I realized he was hooking them up. But, like, I think for me, like his whole no killing rule. This is just a Batman problem in general, which I don't think any movie or comic, maybe a comic, but I don't think any movie is really going to address is that Batman. Yeah. He won't kill you on purpose, but like he's definitely unintentionally killed a ton of people. And uh, you know, like, so I think for me, that's kind of the issue. And I think the one thing I think about is like the freeway, like he did definitely like a ton of people probably died or like, (laughs) 
when he's beating guys up in the hallway and they're shooting guns, like, let me punch this guy shooting uh, an automatic at me. Oh, like, I hit his hand and he shot the other guy in the head. Like, there's probably, like, 20 instances of that. So, for me, like, the no-killing rule, like, I would have had a problem if Batman killed the guy at the end when he took steroids and, like, started punching his face in. And plus, that guy didn't even look beat up, so. (laughs) But I was just like, I wouldn't have minded, like, uh, I know, like, his no-killing rule, but even the Dark Knight didn't really do a great job, I feel. Well, Ra's al Ghul, like, I won't save you. But, like, even then, like, um, beyond that, I feel like no movie has really kind of, like, I've never seen, like, Batman think, like, you know, I'm leaving these guys. Does he even care that, like, he's leaving these guys in comas, that he's ruining <laughs> families, you know, like, that, um yeah like the the violence he inflicts is almost worse than death so like batman's never come to terms with that and then this movie they tried to make it where he beat up the last guy after steroids but like for me that's always just been kind of a batman problem and this movie just kind of didn't really you know answer really my questions there yeah no i i remember driving back home uh and i made that i made a similar comment to my sister of like hey I'm pretty sure he kind of helped kill some of those guys on that freeway. And she was like, no, Penguin was out of control and he was driving on the wrong side of the road. Actually, no, he wasn't driving on the wrong side of the road. But she she essentially was like, yeah, Batman was chasing Penguin, but like Penguin was the one that caused the crash. It just so happens that Batman survived, whereas, you know, maybe a, maybe a couple of, you know, truckers lost their lives. And I was like... Okay, you know, I, I I guess you could say, I guess you could say it was Penguin's fault, but no, I, I, I kind of was actually on the lookout for that with this movie. Like, I admittedly, I'm one of those folks that, that I, I'm not string, super stringy, stringent, whatever the word is, on Batman's killing rule. Like, like I'm, I'm one of those people where the, the, the plot twist of the 89 film where he finds out that Jack Napier is not only the man who killed his parents, but he's also the Joker. In that sense, I'm fine with it just because this is now finally, this is him now finally getting the closure he always wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem though with that is like, after he finds out who the Joker is, that's when the rampage starts. And it starts with him blowing up Joker henchmen you know, and, you know, honestly, I'm fine with what he does to Ra's al Ghul. I, I kind of look at it like sometimes you really need to let the character have that ambiguity at times because, you know, if everybody makes it at the end of the story, like, it is going to make me think, well, you know, this is a pretty dangerous world regardless the universe, regardless comic book, movie, TV show, like – people will die like this is this is it's a dangerous world and so i always kind of look at it like it's one thing if there's a batman story where people you know half people are are killed either by a villain or they're inadvertently killed because batman you know moves out of the way it's another thing when you add that element of he either you know like he does with raz al ghul chooses not to save him or he has to he indirectly kills somebody 
because there's a reason for it. Like, you know, in The Dark Knight, he pretty much kills Two-Face in that. But he does it to save Jim Gordon's son. So there's times where it's like, okay, you're adding a little bit more ambiguity to the, to the character that fleshes him out, but it also, again, it adds to the whole morality play of, well, yeah, Batman doesn't kill people, but what if he's killing people and it's for either a personal reason or it's for some kind of common good, you know, like who knows what could have happened to Gordon at the end of the dark night had Batman not saved his son. Like it's, it's, and it, you know, it's something that they, they toy with in all the films and it's, it's, I think I had heard somewhere and I, I remember thinking about it too, that this is, this is like the first Batman movie where he doesn't directly kill somebody since Batman and Robin. Like in a bunch of other Batman movies, he has definitely killed somebody don't get me started on Affleck because he was definitely smashing skulls. Um, yeah. Th- this Batman is all about pushing himself to his physical limits. And he's burning the candle at both ends, especially with, you know, after being shot in the chest by a 12 gauge, you know, he he, he needs to find that one last thing that's going to keep him going. And so, and of course, by the end of it, like, he he kind of is redeemed in the eyes of the city to the point where, you know, children and, you know, people that he's saving out of the flood aren't terrified by him. And I, I that was something I thought was pretty beautiful because, you know, in the Dark Knight trilogy, he's little little Joffrey just sees him as a dude in a suit. But all the other kids won't believe me. Um, whereas in this, it's like, yeah, even the the. The grownups are terrified of you, buddy. And, you know, it takes the mayor's, the former mayor's son, the assassinated mayor's son. And then, you know, that the other individual that he saves at the very end, like they, they, he finally realizes that he doesn't need to be vengeance or this terrifying force of nature. He can be a beacon of hope because otherwise, you know, had he gone out of his way and just beaten the life out of that guy, he wouldn't have had that kind of redemption, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, now, before we close out, I got at least two other I got at least two other points I want to mention. Number one, and I, I know this is this is one of the biggest points of contention with this movie. At the very end, a certain individual utters the infamous Riddler line of riddle me this riddle me that. And that character is supposed to be a proto Joker. Now, yeah. what did what what did what did you think of the inclusion of a of a proto Joker? And in some ways, this question kind of goes into my my next one. But let's go with this. I'll go with this one first. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was unnecessary. And like the movie already had so much stuff in it. Like, you know, like not only did like it was kind of my thing with like when I say like the pacing and stuff like. I don't even know if that's considered a pacing issue, but um, like how I'm like, oh, like what's the climax of the movie? And I guess it's the uh, Gotham Square Garden. Uh, scene. Yeah. But um, so but then like and then like there's so many storylines like Selena Kyle and her dad. And like there's just so much stuff that he's taught Penguin. Like there's so much stuff they toss in the movie. And I feel like that was just completely unnecessary. I guess, you know, it's their their little setup but 
totally unnecessary. I mean, I think the Dark Knight, or no, what was it? Batman Begins did a, a much better job of hinting at the Joker, um, where Gordon hands uh, Christian Bale the, the Joker playing card. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. that was the perfect way to do it. And in this movie, it just felt like really unnecessary. Like, I think that was one of the cheaper scenes in the movie. Like, uh, again, like nothing to like, I wouldn't even take like a point or a thumb off or anything for that. But I'm just like, that wasn't necessary. Like, it was fine. But like, um, I was even fine with the Riddler kind of going crazy in his cell. Um, it was really ambiguous if there were still prison guards at Arkham at the end there too. Um, which mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, but yeah, I just felt like it was pretty unnecessary. I didn't have a problem with like the actor, like his line or anything like that at all. But the scene just felt unnecessary. Yeah, I I agree. I'm to me, I will say too, I wasn't a big fan of the laugh. Um, mm-hmm. and this is going to sound this next thing is going to sound embarrassing. Um, when they initially showed Jared Leto's Joker for Suicide Squad, I actually liked that laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I thought, okay, number one, as usual, it's different, but also the idea that like this is a Joker who has been beaten up so badly by Batman that he has fake teeth mm-hmm. and he's got this kind of like wheeze of a laugh. Like again, I, I liked that as a character trait. It just didn't pay off with that Joker or with that movie. Um, whereas with this, it was like, okay, it's all right. We got to hear the laugh. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, and yeah, I, it, it didn't feel necessary. I get it though, that, to broaden the universe, which again, you've already you've already got a three hour movie that does a beautiful job expanding the universe into something lived in and believable. You know, if you want to keep doing that, give me another movie, which obviously they will. Um, but it just yeah, I, I it just seemed like, OK. We're already, you know, going off of two jokers now you know because we've had jared leto's joker multiple times between suicide squad and snyder cut totally unnecessary by the way in the snyder cut i think i've said this before um when when i briefly brought it up with sebastian like he he's basically in a dream sequence and it's like he's there because they just wanted to have a, a, a really R-rated scene between the Joker yeah. and Batman. And then, of course, we had Joaquin Phoenix, who, in my opinion, Nicholson will always be my favorite. Heath Ledger's will always be special. But I think Phoenix takes the crown off of Heath Ledger. You know, different versions of the character, obviously. But in terms of performance, like, I think the meaning that that version of the Joker had on the times that we were living in and arguably the times we're still living in had way more of an impact. And and just the performance was phenomenal. So going off of those two performances and getting into this one by, and I'm going to butcher his last name because I've not heard anybody pronounce it definitively saying, this is how you pronounce it. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Barry Keegan. That's what I was going to say. I yeah. Think- I think you're right, but let's see. The internet will probably say something else, so it's fine. I'm I'm sure there's an Entertainment Weekly or a Hollywood Reporter video where the reporter 
the whoever's doing the voiceover of the video is pronouncing it properly. I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I it didn't feel necessary. I think. For all I know, it could have been a studio mandate of, well, you need to tease it because. Joker makes so much money along with Batman, so. You know, we can have him be a villain in a future film and I get it, but. I agree the way it's handled in Batman Begins is way better. It, the way they handle it in at the end of that film is straight out of uh, I think it was it was Frank Miller's Batman origin graphic novel, Batman Year One, where at the very end, like even down to the dialogue. They're like, you know, there's this crazy guy. He's got a thing for the theatrical. Here's his calling card, calls himself Joker. Mm-hmm. I, I know comic book people that when they saw that scene for Batman Begins, they were like, yes, they did it. They that's awesome. That's great. So I don't know. I think ultimately, and, and this kind of hints at my second question, I'm fine ultimately with the introduction. I mean, there's nothing you and I c- can do about it. It's there. I think my hope is that they at least wait and use the Joker for like maybe the third film. You know, just because, again, this movie did such a good job at giving us a lot of what was familiar without feeling like nostalgia porn, but Mm -hmm. still felt grounded and different in a way that felt like nothing we had before. But I don't want them to, you know, cover the same beats that the Dark Knight trilogy did and, you know, give us the Joker in the second movie and then give us Bane in the third one. Um, In fact, I'd be fine if they didn't have Bane at all in this trilogy. I love Bane. He's to me, he's up there with the Joker, but I don't need him. You know, you've already given me a new Penguin and a new Riddler. Give me other villains that maybe haven't been on, on in live action before, um, which then finally to get to that second question, what expectations do you have for the next film? And are, are there any villains you're uh, anticipating for that next film? So I, I guess it is pretty wide open. Um, I guess the next film, um, going back to that runtime, I think <laughs> definitely this is they don't need to like introduce Batman in their own introduction way anymore. So I think like definitely uh, you don't have to throw like 50 stories in there like they did in this movie, which again was fine. But mm. I think it did kind of add a little bit to the runtime. Lots of stories in here. The first Batman of the new trilogy. So that's fine. But um, I'm hoping for a, a slightly shorter runtime. I'm fine with it. Um, but I'm also hoping that Batman, that we get to see more of Bruce Wayne. Like, I didn't want to see him have coffee with the guys from Wayne Enterprises in the beginning. I was mm. actually glad in the opening scene when Andy Serkis is like, um, the guys are coming over for coffee because you won't go see them. And like, thank God it did not show up Bruce, him trying to be Bruce Wayne. Um, I thought they were going to. But I, I still want to. I still want to see what he's like in the next movie. I think uh, let let um, Patman let uh, let Pattinson kind of like shine a bit more in the next one as an actor, just for like I don't know if I can take another move ninety percent ninety five percent Broody Batman, um, just because I, I just want to see what Pattinson's got. I just want to see Bruce Wayne a bit more. Um, I don't think the next film film needs Selena Kyle. I think you have to kind of include the penguin. You very like it, yeah. so much time in here. I think it's just the natural order of things to have them in there. But I agree with that Joker point. I think we're still 
buzzing about Joaquin Phoenix. That was still too recent. I guess. The, and that uh, movie could get a sequel too, by the way. Oh man. Like they're, 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 it's at least in the writing stage. So it's like, we're already, we're going to be so inundated, but anyway, continue. Oh yeah, no, exactly. Like uh, uh, we don't want to get tired and sick, sick and tired of the Joker. Jared Leto almost killed the whole Joker's uh, existence in film. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think if you focus on the penguin, I mean, I really don't really have any other kind of like shout outs. I think I'm totally fine with not having Bane again. To me, having Tom Hardy was so recent. And I think that was a decent enough portrayal of Bane that we don't need another one. We don't need to redo mm. on Bane. So um, I'm, I guess I'm expecting the Joker and the Penguin, I guess. I mean, I don't know what comic book features the Joker and the Penguin as his enemies but I, I that's just kind of what i'm expecting i have no requests really i mean they did i wasn't expecting to see some of the stuff in this movie like i wasn't expecting to see um you know penguin before his rise necessarily i, I wasn't sure in the timelines but um i guess i'll just be open-minded and if uh so <laughs> no requests but um get, at least bring back the penguin for the sake of continuity yeah, no, I, I agree there. Um, I, I feel like you could theoretically have Penguin in a role similar to um, to Scarecrow in the Dark Knight trilogy, where yeah. like he's kind of an underpinning force, but he's not like he's not the main threat. Um, because in this movie, he, he borders on being like kind of a reluctant ally to Batman which I really liked because I was like, wow, this is a dynamic we've never seen with this character in live action between Burgess Meredith and Danny DeVito. This is great. Um, yeah, I, with the runtime, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm on the same page with you on the runtime for the second film. I don't think I need it to be three hours. Um, admittedly, I'd be fine with it being two, two and a half. Um, you know, it's because even even the Dark Knight movies, like I think the Dark Knight was over 230 and Dark Knight Rises was like 245. So I I kind of look at it like maybe dial it back a little bit Um, because, I, you know, I was fine with the, the pacing. I was fine with kind of letting scenes kind of breathe. But yeah, if they could dial it back, that'd be cool. I don't know with villains like I know we got three movies with Scarecrow, but I, I part of me still thinks you could have a really terrifying Scarecrow, the likes of which probably I mean, the only scary, eh, scary, scary Scarecrow I can think of that really worked as a primary villain was, I think, in one of the Arkham video games. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not a big gamer, but mm -hmm. I'm not a gamer at all. Who am I kidding? I have a gamer chair, but that doesn't make me a gamer. Um, I feel like you could make him out to be really terrifying, but I don't know. Maybe if you wanted to go down kind of the the really sort of, I don't know, foundational aspects of Gotham, you know, you could have the Court of Owls, which is basically like Freemasons, but with ninjas. And I know Pattinson's been like, that would be amazing if we did that for the sequel. So the fact that he's on board with that 
gives me more hope um, that we'll see them because Court of Owls can be terrifying, but could also be a really compelling adversary. Uh, or Matt Reeves has voiced that he'd be fine bringing in Mr. Freeze. It's stretching it, but you know what? If he could make it work, I trust him at this point. I would trust it. I think it's time. Actually, I, I really like that suggestion, actually. I think, you know, I don't, movies, you know, we don't have to throw the responsibility of please save this character on these films. <laughs> but um, Mr. Freeze, a comeback, a, a great Mr. Freeze, like in the same vein as the Riddler. Sounds kind of cool. Like ice terrorist. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it, but like. I love that idea. If there's if one guy could do it, like there was no way a Mr. Freeze was going to work in the Dark Knight um, trilogy or Batflex. So like, I <laughs> that sounds like a contender. And and especially and I I didn't realize this until um, I saw a, a spoiler review for the film after I left it. Gotham being flooded outside of like I don't know Killer Croc that's like perfect territory for Mr. Freeze to just be like, you know, okay, I'm going to freeze the city. There's all this water everywhere and I'm going to freeze it and it's going to be mine. And then, oh no, it's it's the Batman. Oh no, he's going to, he's going to punch me and he's going to keep punching me. Oh, oh no, stop it. It hurts. Of course he won't be Arnold, but I can't help it. <laughs> I think the movie that sequel will probably come out in like five or six years, which I know that's been the talk is that it's probably going to be in like five years. We'll get the sequel. So which it's a bummer. We got to wait that long. But you know what? If it gives them time to prep, if it gives them time to really. Really be methodical with these new villains, bring it on. I think that pretty much wraps up our review. Andrew, thank you so very much. Uh, So happy to have you on board from ours on life uh, for the coming weeks. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we'll talk more about plants in the near future. Hey, not, yeah. re- not related to poison ivy, obviously. <laughs> good one. Yeah. No, this has been a blast. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Look forward to it. And uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I can get, I'll be just as giddy about the next plant topic as I am about the Batman. So I'm all for it. Beautiful. Well, and, and let's, let's, Let's not forget, you know, he may be vengeance. We're just a couple of schmoes. So take it easy, everybody. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Urberich, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>